I want to read from John chapter 4, verse 46. And this is what the Word of God says in John chapter 4, verse 46. It says, As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official nearby in Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. <clears throat> Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see a miraculous sign and wonder? And the official pleaded. He begged, Lord, please, come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, Go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and he started going home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and he replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. And this was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after the coming of Judea. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you bless this word today. During this holiday weekend, Lord, we're here, we've gathered because we just, we need a word from you, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would bless us with your presence and wisdom as we learn this word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys can have a seat as we get into this word today. I want to preach on this particular topic, and this topic is pride. How many of you have some pride in your life? A little pride, all right, a little pride. We're going to learn on the subject of pride, but particularly about pride, we're going to learn how to see it and what to do about it how to see it, and what to do about it. Let me start off by just telling you this story. But I was reading a few things about history, American history, and I came upon a story about the Titanic. And what's interesting about this Titanic story is that it was started talking about the engineers that designed it. And the engineers... As they were being interviewed by journalists, the engineer said proudly that God himself could not sink this ship. Proudly, they said God himself could not sink this ship. They were so proud of the fact that they had built such a massive ship that they named it Titanic because the word Titanic literally means powerful and strong. And it goes on to say that one of the engineers not only said that God himself could not sink this ship, but when asked, why did you build such a massive ship with pride, they said, because we wanted to put a fist to God's face. Think about that. They were so filled with pride in regards to their ship that it took 12,000 men in two years to build it, and they were proud of that. 12,000 men. And when it almost came time to sail, 
when it came time to really put the life jackets in the boat, the engineers said, listen, let's cut the budget in half with the life jackets because we're not going to need any life jackets because this ship cannot sink. What a waste of money. And not only that, but they cut the budget also on lifeboats because they said lifeboats are expensive and if we put lifeboats on a ship that can't sink, it makes absolutely no sense. So they cut that in half. And even on the day they sailed, when they sailed on April 14, 1912, I believe, that Sunday, they were supposed to do a routine thing that most people on ships do. They were supposed to practice rescue. They were supposed to run through the drill of what would happen if the ship would sink. What lifeboat did they go to? What jacket do they grab? Where do they go? What do they do? But the engineers, they said, listen, there's no point to doing that. Let's just skip all of that because this ship cannot sink. And wouldn't you know that one night, that unsinkable ship hit an iceberg and sank. And here's the point. When I read that story in this history book, I realized two things. One, you don't mess with God. And two, a powerful lesson I think all of us need to learn. You're not as strong, you're not as powerful, and you're not as wise as you sometimes think you are. There are so many people in the culture we're living in that are filled with such pride and such arrogance. And today, human wisdom, the little wisdom that we have of life and God and the universe and everything around it, with such little understanding, we think that we know it all. And we think that we're more powerful and stronger than we ought to think. And this is a perfect picture of what we just read in the Bible. We read about a man who was a governing official. He wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's just make that clear. But this man was a governing official. As a governing official, it meant that this man was powerful. This man was wealthy. This man had influence. This man was something. He was important. But isn't it interesting that when this man's son got sick and was on the verge of dying, this man's money could not help him. This man's power could not save his child. This man's influence meant nothing. At that moment, this man was hopeless and powerless. And this man ran to Jesus. He humbled himself and he ran to Jesus for help. It reminds me that this man, sometimes God has to put you in a situation of desperation to remind you that you need him. Sometimes God has to allow you to go through something so severe like this man did to remind you that we're nothing. And this man, he humbled himself. And even though he was powerful and influential, this man ran to Jesus for help. See, this man, he must have heard that Jesus did miracles because the Bible mentions 
that this town was the town where Jesus did his first miracle of turning water into wine. And I believe that because this man was a governing official, he had to have been on that wedding. So maybe this man was on that wedding not knowing that he was witnessing this miracle because one day he would need Jesus himself. But here's where it gets interesting. This man goes to Jesus. I want you to look at verse 50 with me. This man goes to Jesus. And he tells him, I need your help. My son's about to die. You need to come now. If you don't come now, he's going to die. We need you now, Jesus. We need you to heal him. And Jesus tells him, go back home. Your son will live. Go back home. Your son will live. See, as I read that, I often wonder, why didn't Jesus go with him? Why didn't Jesus just go with him to the house? Why didn't Jesus do it the way the man wanted to? Why didn't Jesus just walk with him and say, okay, you need me, I'll go with you. Let's go to the house together. No, Jesus said, you go home and he'll leave. And when I really studied this scripture, I realized that the reason Jesus did not go home with him is because Jesus was presenting two tests to this man, two tests that we need to learn, two tests that we are going to go through to, or in order for us to see God work in our lives. Here's the test. Number one is the test of God's word. Look at verse 48 with me. Here's the first test this man got, went through. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see a miraculous sign and wonder? See, this man went to Jesus and believed that Jesus could heal him because this man witnessed and heard of the miracles. But see, the first test that this man was learning was the test of God's word. It was a test of knowing, will you believe in me when you don't see a sign? Will you believe in me when you don't see a miracle? Will you trust in the word of God when you have no signs that he's working? Will you trust in the word of God when you have no sign that you're going to make it? See, this man went to Jesus and said, I need you to heal my boy. But Jesus said, just go home. You're not going to see me go with you. You're not going to see him get healed. You're not even going to know if he got healed. You're going to go home and trust that he's been healed. See, how many of you understand this today? That sometimes in your life, you're not going to see God work. You're not going to see the miracles. You're not going to see the wonders. But you have to trust in the word of God. That's the first test this man went through. The test of God's word. And this man did exactly what Jesus did. He went home and he found the boy healed just as Jesus said. But notice this man, he listened to Jesus and he went home. You see, when you have pride, it's hard for you to listen. Amen? When you have pride, notice, Jesus, this man went to Jesus and said, I need you to go home with me. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going with you. You can go by yourself, but trust that he's healed. And this man had to trust 
in the words of Jesus and do it the way Jesus told them to. But see, when you're prideful, you don't listen. But this man, he didn't tell Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, I need you to go with me. Why can't you go with me? Just come with me, go home and do what I tell you to do. And Jesus said, no, you're going to do it my way. You're going to go home by yourself and you're going to trust and believe that I already did it. See, when you're filled with pride, you think not only that your way is best, but you think you know it all. But here's the second test this man went through. And this is the one I really want to highlight this morning. It's the test of humility. Remember, this man's a governor official. This man's powerful. This man has people under him. This man just tells someone to do something, they run and do it. He's powerful, he's influential, he's wealthy. He is someone to fear and respect. This man is a typical politician. They think they know it all. They think they're the best. And this man runs to Jesus. And Jesus tells him to go home. Jesus was testing his humility. How do you know you're prideful? How do you know that you really struggle with pride? You think your way is best. You think your way is better. You think your way is the right way. And when you know and believe that your way is the right way, no one can advise you otherwise. You don't listen to advice. You don't adhere to advice. You don't seek advice. You don't look for it. You don't ask for wisdom. You don't ask people, what should I do? You tell people what to do because you think your way is better. I want you to notice how prideful this man is. Look at verse 47 through 49 with me. Notice what this man did. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miracles and signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Now I want you to see something here because we read this passage of scripture and we think, no big deal. But this man is prideful. This man is arrogant. This man's a lot like us. Notice, this man went to Jesus and told him what to do. He went to Jesus and said, hey, heal my son. How many of you ever pray you just tell God what to do? Be honest. Be honest, church. You pray and you say, Lord, I need you to do this now. Lord, I need this by now. Lord, help me with this. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. This man goes to Jesus and just tells him, I need you to heal my son. It's the same way of saying, I'm going to pray and I'm going to say, Lord, I need this promotion. Lord, I need to be married. Lord, I need my child. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this house. Lord, I need this car. Lord, I need this money. Lord, I need this. But see, the Bible says you don't even know what you need like God does. 
But he goes to Jesus and says, Lord, heal my son. This man's not even a believer. Doesn't serve God. But is still telling Jesus what to do. And I believe that in the church today, there's a lot of Christians that we think we know it all so much that when we pray, we actually tell God what to do. Not only does this man tell Jesus what to do, this man tells Jesus how to do it. He says, first, heal my son. That's what to do. Next, here's the how to do it. I need you to come home with me and heal him. You see, that's the how. I need you to come home with me. And Jesus said, don't you know, I can just speak right now and heal him. But no, he tells Jesus not only what to do, but how to do it. That's pride. Pride tells you, you know the how things are supposed to be. The how you should be. You ever been in a car with a prideful person? They ask you to drive, but the whole time they tell you what to do. Or how to do it. They tell you the best way to go. How to do this, when to switch lanes, how fast to go, how slow to go, go quick, quick. You see, that's how we get with God. We get so prideful that we tell God not only what to do, but this man tells Jesus how to do it. I need you to go home with me. And here it gets even worse. This man tells Jesus not only what to do, this man not only tells Jesus how to do it, this man tells Jesus when to do it. He says, I need you to come home with me now. He doesn't tell Jesus when you have time, if you're able to, if it's convenient for you, Lord. Lord, I'm just asking out of respect, when you can, can you come over? No, he tells him, Lord, I need you to do this now. So let's break it down. He tells Jesus what to do. That's pride because pride tells you, you know the best way to do things. He tells Jesus how to do it because pride tells you, you know the best way how to do something. And he tells Jesus when to do it because pride tells you, you know the timing and when something has to happen. And not only does he tell this man, Jesus, I need you to go now. But the worst thing pride tells you, he tells Jesus, if you don't, he's going to die. He tells Jesus what's going to happen in the future. He tells Jesus the outcome. He tells Jesus, if you don't do it my way, how I want you and when I want you to do it, this is going to happen. You see, pride convinces you, you know the outcome of your life. Pride convinces you that you're so knowledgeable that you know what's going to happen. Pride tells you and convinces you that you have so much knowledge and wisdom and strength and power that you know not only what to do, how to do it, when to do it, but if it doesn't happen your way, the outcome is going to be this way. You believe today we live in a very prideful culture? Just watch the news. And you have a bunch of opinions. Comments. 
And everyone's an expert. You ever notice that? Everyone's an expert. And they're telling us what to do. How to do it. When to do it. And everyone seems to think they know the outcome of life. Everyone seems to think, oh, this is going to happen if this doesn't change. This is going to happen if this doesn't happen. We think we know and control everything. This man, by telling Jesus, if you don't do this, he's going to die. This man is displaying to Jesus, I know what's going to happen because I'm powerful and in control. You getting this this morning? I wonder how many of you unknowingly have pride. Where you think you know what you need to do. Where you're telling God what to do. How to do it. Lord, I need it now. When to do it. And Lord, if this doesn't happen, it's over. See, like this man, I believe a lot of us live with unknowing pride. We, we, we assume that we know what's best for us. We, we tell God what we need to do, how it should happen, and when. And we think we know the outcome of what's going to happen tomorrow. You see, when you begin to live your life with worry about tomorrow, that's pride. Because you have no control of your life. But all of us need to die to arrogance and pride. See, let me give you my own example. And some of you know this, maybe all of you know this. But I was 24 years old praying for a wife. 24 years old as a pastor. And being a single pastor is difficult. And I was 24 years old, single, and I did what every pastor told me to do. David, you just got to pray for a wife. And I did. But looking back now, I realized that when I prayed for a wife, I prayed for a wife with arrogance. See, here, here's the thing that I did. I'm going to be honest. Can I be honest? That's why I love... I'm preaching this only on a holiday weekend because on a holiday weekend, it's only family. So let's, let, let's have a, a family discussion. I can't tell this story with new, new people and guests and stuff, all right? So I, I did what I was told to do by pastors. You, you need to pray for a wife. And I said, oh, I got you. And some people got super spiritual and said, Pat, David, you have to make a list. A list? Said, yeah, yeah, write everything down that you want. And I said, okay. So I, I went one, I got, I got spirit. I'm not making this up. I got spiritual. I went to my room right now in a little soft background music of worship, got spiritual, got my prayer journal, and started writing. And I said, dear God, I need a wife. See, right there I'm already telling God what? What to do. She must be Cuban. I'm a strong believer. Teacher. Dark hair. I thought, I'm not going to give you the whole list. But I also said, to, and I'm, I'm doing what now? 
How? How? And I went so far to say, Lord, I want to meet her at church. I want to be, in my mind, I will be preaching and she's going to walk through the door and I was going to be like, whoa, there she is, you know? Because you hear stories like that. I would hear stories in these pastor conferences. Oh, I was preaching in my youth group and my wife just walked in and I said, and the Lord told me, there she is. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I thought, but then I started seeing some ugly chicks roll into church. Some crazy chicks roll into church. Like, oh God, oh God, no. But you know, that's why I can say this to family, right? All right. But see, right there, I was telling God how to do it. Just like this man was telling Jesus, I need you to come home with me. And then I told Jesus, I, I would like her no later than by the time I'm 25, 26. I was telling God, when? Like this man did, I, I need it now. And then I told God the outcome. This man told Jesus, if you don't do this, my son's going to die. I, I told Jesus my prideful outcome. Lord, if you don't do this, you know, people will never respect a single pastor. Lord, if you don't do this, there's nothing respectful about a man living alone with a cat. And Lord, I, I just... And, 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 I'm, and I'm being honest. I said, Lord, and I'm a man. And I'm weak and I, and I have needs. Lord, I'm just being biblical here. And I'm helpless. So Lord, I think you and I should agree that it needs to be now. Ten years later. Ten. I spent the majority of my ministry single. Ten years. And it felt like God just shut me out. And ten years... I did more marriage counseling and weddings than ever. It's in, now that I'm married, I barely do marriage counseling or weddings. But when I was single, it was like every weekend in spring. I set people getting married and having kids. And I was like, God, uh, I said no. And it didn't happen. And, and it wasn't that God was being mean. It's that God was killing the pride in me. Because who am I to tell God what I need? Who am I to tell God how to do it? Who are we to tell God when to do it? And who are we to assume that we know the outcome if God doesn't do it? And God was not being mean to me. He was actually helping me and He was killing my pride. And then I realized when I met Jericho, Ten years later, if God would have answered my prayer of now, she would have been 14 years old. I would have gone to jail, would have lost the church. And that's my point. God's ways are always right. God's ways are always better than yours. And God's ways are not intended to hurt you in any way. But see, as, as pastors and teachers, and, and we tell our church, we teach them wrong. We, we tell people 
oh, just pray, just pray and ask the Lord. No, you have to have more reverence and fear of God when you pray. You can't just step up to God and tell Him what you need and when and how and if you don't, this is going to happen. You have to Step into the presence of God with such a fear that you say, Lord, if it's your way, this is my request. But see, pride tells us we know what's best for our lives. And here's a powerful verse we need to remember always in Isaiah 55, 8-9. through The Bible says that my thoughts are not what? Your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Now let's hold this verse up here for a second because God is clearly telling us what we need to learn this morning. I don't think like you do. You see, today, a lot of people think too much. When I was younger, I was raised not to think. Just listen. Don't think. Just do what I tell you. But today... We live in a culture of too many opinionated people, don't we? Too many people that think too much and think that their thinking is the way to think and everything they're thinking is the best way to think. You think about Twitter, for example. You know what it is? A bunch of idiots thinking out loud. It's what it is. We look at social media. It's all about people's thoughts and opinions Because you think that people care what you think and you think that what you think is the best way to think for everyone. So you look at social media and Twitter and all of these people with their opinions and and their knowledge and everything and everyone just seems to think that they know it all. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a thought, you shouldn't have an opinion. But I am saying that your thoughts are nothing like God's. You might think you know what's best. You might think you know what you need. You might think you know what's going to happen tomorrow in your outcome of life. But one of the most comforting verses to know is God does not think like we do. And see, God says, I want you to understand that because I don't think the way you do, that means that I'm not going to do things the way you think I'm going to do it. That's why right after God says, my ways are not your ways. And that word ways in the Hebrew literally means journey, a trip. So God says, the journey you think you're going to be on in life may not be the journey I have planned for you. You might think you know what journey you should be in. You might think you know what you need, how you need it, when you need it. But God clearly says in His words, my ways are not going to be like yours. My thoughts are not going to be like you. You see, the minute that Jesus told this man to go home, Jesus illustrated what Isaiah 55, 8 teaches. This man thought that Jesus would come home with him and heal him and be done for the day. But Jesus would demonstrate to this man, I'm not thinking like you. I'm not going to do it the way you want me to. And look at verse 9. Here's the promise that God gives us. As the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, that word higher literally means to be above you. Beyond understanding. So God clearly illustrates through Isaiah. I might not think like you. I may not do things the way you want me to. But you always have to trust that my ways are above you. You have to trust that God's ways in your life are better than yours. If God would give us everything we wanted, when we wanted, how we wanted, we may not even be serving God right now. You may not even be in church right now. You might actually be dead right now. Jesus told this man, go home. This man told him, hey, I need you to do this. This is how I need you to do it. This is when I need you to do it. If not, this is what's going to happen. That was arrogance at its fullest. Because this man, as a governing official, he's used to telling people what to do and how to do it. And when? And he thought he can control Jesus the same way. But Jesus cannot be controlled. We get under his control. And Jesus said to this man, go home. The minute Jesus said, go home, he was telling this man indirectly, I'm not going to do it the way you thought I would. I'm not going to do it the way you want me to do it. But I need you to trust me. I need you to hold on to my word that my ways are better and I'm looking out for you. So this man, what I love about this man is the second Jesus shut him down, Jesus did not go home with him. So Jesus did not do what he wanted, how he wanted, when he wanted it. But this man was being humbled. He did not get angry. He did not get discouraged. He didn't even question Jesus or beg Him. Look at verse 50. Look what He did. Verse 50, the Bible says, Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said. The man believed what Jesus said. Didn't get angry. Didn't go away in a fit of rage. Didn't tell Jesus why. Why can't you go with me? Why can't you just do it the way I want you to? This man just said, you know, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to do it God's way. See, that's humility. Humility always gets under the authority of God and obeys. Even when it makes no sense. Even when it seems like God doesn't care. You get under the authority of God and obey. This man didn't even beg. and said, no, please, Lord, do it my way. Lord, please go home with me. You got to be with me. No, this man, he forfeited all expectations and all thoughts of how he thought Jesus would do it. This man abandoned all expectations of what how he thought Jesus should do it. And this man simply trusted in the way Jesus was telling him to do it. That's humility. Humility says, Lord, I don't understand, 
but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do it your way. See, when God doesn't do it our way, you don't have to get angry. You don't have to get hopeless. You don't have to question Him. You don't even have to beg Him. Begging doesn't change the mind of God. It just wears you out. God is moved by faith, not begging. Ten years of my begging did nothing. But submitting to His will gave me peace. And I made the best of where I was at in my journey. And it was hard. I'd go to, the devil was crafty. I'd go and travel to pastor conferences and meetings and things like that. And they'd always have some dinner for the pastors. And I'd always have every year, every February, because they did it the weekend of Valentine's. That's how I remember. And they kind of did it that way so the pastors and their wives can go away and have the hotel and have dinner and, and everything. Every year for 10 years, I sat down in the same table with pastors and their wives. And every year on that table next to me was an empty chair that said Mrs. Pereira. And every year I emailed them, I'm not married. Stop reminding me. And every year I went to this conference and every year, like clockwork, I looked next to me and guess what? Miss Pereira. And the conversations were making me vomit. They'd ask me, oh, where's the missus today? And I said, I don't know. And they'd be shocked. What do you mean you're single? I am. Why? I don't know. You need to pray. I have. You need to mind your business. And you know what happened? When I met Jerrica, I knew she was it. And I still got prideful. You know what happened? I said, oh, by this time, I know I'm going to be married to her. I'm going to go to this conference. She's going to sit down in that stupid chair. And I'm going to tell everyone, here's Mrs. Pereira. Then COVID hit. The event was canceled. Until this day, I have not gone over there on Valentine's Day. But God is still reminding me, I don't do it your way. I'm not going to let you go over there with pride. So I'm going to just let this happen and shut it all down. Here's my point, guys. Humble yourself. When God doesn't do it your way, Trust that His way is the best way. His way may not be your way. His thoughts may not be your thoughts. And you need to thank God for that. Have you seen the way you think? Have you seen the way you do things sometimes? If God would give you full control of your life, you would run it to the ground. So what do you do like this man if God doesn't do it your way? What do you do if God just shuts you down like this? You do what this man did. He trusted in Jesus. 
He trusted that Jesus had his best interest. See, we get all anxious and worried when life doesn't happen the way you thought it would. We get all caught up when when life fails and God didn't do it your way, how you expected it to happen, when you expected it to happen. Some of you are still waiting for God to do something. Don't get anxious. Look at what Philippians 4, 5-6 through teaches us. Let your gentleness be evident to all that the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your demands to God. No. Request. Request. A request is not a demand. A request is when you say, Lord, this is what I'm requesting. This is what I would like you to do. Lord, I'm requesting that my son get healed. And I request, Lord, that you go with me. But Lord, if you decide not to do it or not to go with me, Lord, I'm just going to surrender and trust you. But this is my request. You can give all your requests to God, but don't ever let your request turn into a demand. Let your request be known to God. And notice what happens after. The very next verse, it says that then you'll have peace. The peace of God will guard your heart, your mind, the peace of God that will surpass all understanding. Philippians 4, 5-6. through 6. You need more peace in your life? Stop telling God what to do. You want more peace in your life? Stop telling God how to do it. When to do it? Why hasn't it happened yet? You need to humble yourself to a point where you say, Lord, this is what I request, but I humbly submit to your will. This man needed to kill his arrogance. And so do we. Because you know that every time you demand and think you know best, and you think what's going to happen and the outcome of life, and you are completely arrogant. And I don't mean this to insult you. I mean this to tell you what the Bible says. Look at James 4, 13 through 16 with me. Now listen... He says this to a church. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go this place, we're going to go to this city, we're going to spend a year here, we're going to carry out business here, we're going to make this much money. That's an arrogant person. They think they know it all. They think they know what's going to happen. They make all their own plans. And notice what God says. Why? What a question. Why do you live like that? Why do you live thinking you know best? Why do you think you think you know it all? Why do you make plans you haven't even gone to God about? Why do you even know? He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then you vanish. 
Instead, here's humility. You ought to say, if it's the Lord's will. I live for the will of God. We will, if it's the Lord's will, we're going to live here. If it's the Lord's will, we're going to do this and that. As it is, notice, when you live like that, where you're just saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, this is my way, I think I know best. Notice, as it is, you boast and brag, and such boasting is evil. That word brag in the Greek literally means to be arrogant. You boast and you're arrogant when you tell God what's going to happen, what you're going to do. As Christians, humility means I submit to the will of God. I present my request. I tell God what I think I need, what I desire in my life but I ultimately in humility submit to His will. You ask God in request, but you always submit to His will in obedience. You guys get this? 1 Peter 5, 5-7 says this. Young men, young men, in the same way be submissive to those who are older. Let me explain something why In the Bible here, Peter says young men because young people are the most arrogant people. And I mean that because we were all young ones. Remember when you were young, you thought you knew best? When you were young, you thought your way was the best and no one can tell you otherwise? When you were young, you thought you knew who you should date? When you thought you can get away with it, when you thought this was not going to hurt me, and you had older people in your life, parents, grandparents, older, wiser people tell you otherwise, but you would say, oh, you don't know anything, you're just old. You see, young people are very prideful. See, sometimes we have that young spirit about us. We're prideful. It says, in the the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you. Clothe yourself with humility. Now let's break this verse down and I'll finish. The reason the Bible says clothe yourself with humility is because all of us right now, we have clothes on, correct? You chose those clothes, right? It was a choice. Because by nature, we're naked. We're naked people. But you know that coming to church naked is not good. So what did you do? You went against your nature, which is nakedness, and you chose to put on clothes. That's why God says, clothe yourself with humility, because our human nature, we're prideful. Our human nature, we're arrogant. You don't just conquer pride and say, oh, I'm going to be pride, I'm going to be humble from here on out. No. Every day of your life, there is a fight for your nature, which is pride and humility. Every day you have to choose to humble yourself. You have to choose when you don't get your way. I'm going to choose to humble myself. You're going to choose when someone thinks 
and gives you advice, you have to humble yourself and listen. You have to choose to be humble because your natural sinful nature is pride. So God says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God, He opposes the proud. God comes against you. That word oppose is a war term. It literally means when the enemy advances against you. God, believe me, you do not want God against you. You won't win. You won't survive. You won't like it. And one of the best ways, if not the only way, to get God not to oppose you is to choose to live a life of humility where you know that you're under the authority of God. You do not know what's best for your life. You don't know how to do the best thing. You don't know when it should be. You have to live under the humility of God. God says God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Look at the next verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hands that He may lift you up in due time. Let's pause there. See, God says, ironically, when you humble yourself and get under me, I, in turn, will lift you higher. If you want God to exalt you and bless you, Humility has to be something you live and learn and choose to do. And one of the things, remember, God's talking about pride and humility. And right after all of that, He talks about anxiety. He says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now, you might think, well, what does one thing have to do with another? Why is it that you're talking about pride and all of a sudden you shift to anxiety? Because... Anxious people are prideful. Anxiety is a sign of pride. You're worried because you don't trust God. And you don't trust God because you're trusting in yourself. That's pride. When you think constantly about worry, and you're saying, oh, what's going to happen? What if this happens? What if that happens? You're taking control of your own life. That's pride. But humility says, no, my way is not my way. It's not God's way. Listen, I'm just going to trust God. Surrender it to Him. And here's why. Because He cares for you. He cares for you. When life doesn't happen your way, He cares for you. When it doesn't happen the way you thought he'd do it, it's because he cares for you. When he doesn't do it the way you thought he should do it, it's because he cares for you. When it doesn't happen when you wanted it to happen, it's because he cares for you. He cares for you. And in verse 53, this man doesn't get his way. Jesus doesn't do it the way he thought he'd do it. But he trusts him. 
and he's walking by himself. You've got to picture this. He's walking by himself. Not knowing what's going to happen to his son. He's just believing that Jesus did not lead him wrong. And I know Jesus said he's going to live. So he's walking because God did not do it his way. He didn't do it the way he thought he'd do it. And when he'd do it. But a servant went over to him. And said, hey. Your son's fine. His fever went away. And this man says, when did this happen? He said, one o'clock. And this man knew exactly that that was the time that Jesus told him to go home. And when he went home, the Bible says this, the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. He and his entire household believe in Jesus because this man experienced this him and his entire household started serving Christ so if you're here this morning you're saying well pastor I am prideful I didn't even know it I do have a little arrogance about me because when I pray I tell God what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. And Pastor, I do struggle with anxiety because, you know what, I, I just think I know what's best, and if this doesn't happen, I worry about it, and worry is a sign of pride. But church, you have to believe what I'm teaching here today. When God doesn't do it your way, it's because His way is better. His way is better. If, if you say, no, but I, Lord, I just wish you would have done it this way. God says, if I would have done it that way, you would not be living my best. So whatever it is you're faced with, whatever it is you, you have right now that's causing anxiety and stress and worry, would you go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to forgive you of pride? Say, Lord, in my pride, I thought I knew better. In my pride, I did not listen. In my pride, I think I know what's best for me. I think I know the timing in which things should happen. But Lord, I want to come under you. And I want to die to my pride. Because there is nothing better, nothing will bring greater peace in your life than submitting to the will of God. It might not be nice. It might not be what you imagine. It may not be what you expect. But He cares for you. Family, let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in humility. Father, I believe that here today, like this man we read about, there are people that are in desperate need. There are people that are worried and anxious. And 
Father, when we're wrapped up in all of this world, we, we tend to entangle ourselves with pride. Father, would you forgive us when we should be requesting or we're actually demanding, when we think our ways are best. Father, would you forgive us when we think we know the timing in which such and something should happen? Father, there are things in our lives that didn't go the way we thought. There are healings in our lives that never happened. There are desires we wanted that we never got. Father, there are broken dreams and journeys that never happened. But I pray that you give us a humility to always submit to your will. Father, I just pray that you take all of the requests being made today. If you're here this morning, church family, would you give God a request right now, not a demand? What is it? Just request it. Don't demand it. Say, Lord, this is my request. Just, just ask him right now. Are you requesting a job? Are you requesting a spouse? Are you requesting a house? Are you requesting healing? Just request it. Now church, pray it this way. Let your will be done. Come on, just say, Lord, let your will be done. Make a promise to God today. Say, Lord, if you choose not to, I'll trust you. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name you take all requests. Forgive us for making them demands. Father, give us the desires of our hearts if it's your will. We know that you care for us your ways are higher. Forgive us, Lord, for pride. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Come on, give God some praise.